Welcome to the Jeff Gross Podcast. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Party Poker. Go to PartyPoker.com to play tournaments, cash games, and improve your poker game. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes. All right, everyone, we are live with Mr. Daniel Negreanu. After a little bit of uh, technical difficulties, we got it sorted out. So, Daniel, how's it going? Well, let me tell you what. I've had some technical difficulties lately, not just this working with this thing, but also a software glitch. So I'm up to my, past my ears with, with freaking software and computers. Can't wait to just put them all away and get some actual cards and chips to right. play some World Series of Poker events. I'll tell you what, I'm the same way, man. I do a lot of side stuff. I don't. I just like to play poker. I want to stream. I want to go to the table. I don't want to deal with all the other shenanigans. It, it gets very frustrating very quickly. So, all right, we got that. We got that sorted out. I saw you. You know, we could we could just quickly touch on that. Just to give an update because I know there's a lot of people that are saw that you were doing some action, which people really wanted a piece of, which is great. I saw there's a little bit of difficulties. You were doing some refunds and figuring that out. Is that what? Where is the status on that right now, just before we can go forward? All right. So the whole story and how it worked out was the plan was Friday at noon, launch, you know, open. Friday, apparently they didn't have enough. They tested it to the, uh, to the peak of their ability to test, said it was going to work fine. I asked, are you sure? 100%. They said, yes, the site crashed. Nobody could get in. So we had 24 hours to scramble, I felt like, to get, get it going again. They moved to a new server, and apparently when they did that, there were some software modifications that happened or whatever. But at noon, some people were having back gateway, but a lot of people were getting in. Um, and then we're like, oh, my God, this is pretty cool. And we're looking at the stock. We're watching it in terms of, like, the number of, you know, shares left. And within about 30 minutes or so, it's like, okay, we're all sold out. Yay. I went to the gym, all excited, you know. Thank God people got through. Sorry for those that couldn't. I'm doing some deadlifts, you know, and all of a sudden I get the call. We have a problem package that we were selling was 275,000 total. Okay. We took in 1.8 million dollars in 30 oh, wow. minutes. Holy so shit. the package is sold well, the first the low package sold within a minute. The second package sold like a minute 10 and then the high stakes was like 2 minutes or something. So all the packages were gone in 2 minutes. So now I have a cr- crisis on my hands basically, right? Cuz like what do you do in this spot? If we're talking about 60,000 in transfer fees which I can't possibly put on people, it's like totally wrong, right? right. They've already been, they're already going to be getting screwed over by the sense that like, um, I'm going to have to give them refunds because I mean, I can't, the only, the buy-ins are 800K. I can't take in 1.8. It's just not a thing. So we, I've been talking to my team. Everybody worked their ass off to manually refund everybody and they did so within like 12 to 24 hours. So everyone's got their refunds back. About 10% of the people that bought, they got in. The rest of those people, uh, oh, and they're going to get an email today, uh, the ones that uh, got in, t- just to confirm. The rest of those people, I'm going to make it up to them, okay, with some one-offs in the World Series, some super high roller bowl, some other things, all packages going forward. I'm just going to have to make sure that the people that got shut out, they're going to have priority in everything going on in the future until I feel like and they feel like they've been made whole and, you know, had an opportunity to, to get a real good sweat. So it's been frustrating, but at the same time, the community has been really understanding with, like, very few exceptions, of yep. people who just like, you know, I'm going to sue you. I'm like, what? You can't sue yeah. me. What the hell? I gave you your money back, bro. Chillax. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But, it, you know, it, it was very, very frustrating. But in the end, like, I feel like the silver lining is when you think about it, like, for poker, for staking, for the community, like, 1.8 million in 30 minutes. That shows there's, like, a serious demand for this sort of thing. And, it, you know, lets us know in the future that something we can continue to do. Absolutely. No, I mean, that's that's crazy. I, like, I, that's the... and. 
poker twitch the last few years that's the thing i've enjoyed the most is posting action people seem to really love it so i think it's great you know that you're the one of the if not the most recognizable most you know ambassador of poker it's pretty cool that you are going down that road and um and and then offering some of that because i know people really do love to have a piece and feel engaged with that so uh that's cool hopefully it works out i know tyler the other guys we were talking you know hope if you need help you know I, you know what i like state kings i'm biased but obviously you're you basically can carry a whole thing by yourself which is ba- what you showed with that 1.8 million overnight so hopefully it all works out and people get a piece that's great so um we'll, we'll move on from that because I know there are a bunch of people in the chat. There's a lot of questions. There's a lot of excitement. I mean, this is about as exciting time of year as it is. The World Series starting. You just got married. Congratulations. That's pretty, yeah, pretty incredible. Yeah. Good timing. Got that done. Now it's time to focus in poker. How are you? Yeah, there, there was a meal prepared for you at the wedding. You just forgot to eat it. I Listen, <laughs> I, I appreciate it. I would have, trust me, I wanted to be there so badly with the baby, the timing. It's just one of those things, man. I know you've mentioned you want to have kids in the future and I can just tell you, like, everyone just says it enjoy the ride i didn't know what that means until i'm on the ride it's uh it's it's amazing but it's a learning experience so it's um you know yeah i'm actually missing the first uh won't be there for the full time at the world series this summer which is kind of crazy um and i'm getting like getting very antsy knowing that wednesday so the 10k turbo starts i talked to us a little bit about your schedule this summer how are you going is there anything have you modified over what was the first year you played the world series like schedule fully or went out there all right so Mo, my World Series of Poker history dates back to 1996. Okay. For many of you that are watching probably weren't even born then. I went out in 96 with the, with the intention and goal of playing in a World Series event. The difference is back then, the minimum buy-in was 2000 Like, they didn't have these $300, $500 buy-ins. So I played satellites and sit-and-goes, if you will, like um, one tables and whatnot. In 97, I went back again, wasn't able to get in in a super. In 98, I got three-handed with Todd Brunson and Mike Mattiso in a satellite for the pot limit hold'em, which I'd never really played before. I get a heads up with Todd. I ended up beating him. And he takes the chip because we all made a $500 save. He throws it back to me and says, uh, you want to, you know, you, let me buy a PC tomorrow. I say, okay. So I played the tournament. I won my first ever World Series of Poker. I'm pulling it up there, on the head and mob right now. That's crazy. So the first ever WSOP, I, actually, I see you got a 10th in your first ever tournament ever, then a first, your very next one, and then you won a couple others. But then at the World Series, I mean, that's pretty insane to actually take well, first Well, the first place. eight tournaments that I made, like down to four or five-handed, I was 8-0 in terms of winning. I had no seconds, thirds, or fourth. I just won. But uh, So obviously, as the years went on and they moved to Rio – the schedule expanded. Back then, it was a very different schedule. It was like one tournament a day, and they were all two-day events. So Tuesday, that's a stud eight at noon. That's it. There's no like 11 a.m., 3 p.m., you know, all these different types of tournaments. Now, of course, you're talking about 80, 90 tournaments throughout the World Series of Poker, when maybe back then it was about 20. Over the last 10 years or so, I'd say my schedule has been pretty static, and that is playing the 10K buy-in, mixed game events, always prioritizing those, not playing any of the big field no limits, virtually none over the years. Um, I've won player of the year twice at the World Series of Poker. And I looked at the way that the point structure works now for player of the year and realized, frankly, that the schedule I'm playing makes it very, very difficult, almost impossible to win player of the year. So it requires you to play all these little small gimmicky events. So for the first time ever, I'm going to be essentially doubling my schedule and playing next tourney up, which means... What's, what's next on the schedule? $500 this? Okay, I'm playing that. What's next? 50K? Okay, I'm playing that. So we're just going to continue to play as many as we can and uh, try to rack up as many points for player of the year and then try to win it for a third time. Is that something that when you 
when you sit down at the World Series, you basically how much preparation do you do in terms of like going through the, the schedule exclusively and, and really because sometimes you've done multiple events on the same day, you've done some other type of craziness. Do you feel that now how much experience versus someone that's coming to the World Series to grind for the first time for a summer? I mean, having that knowing how it works, knowing the flow, knowing how your body is, how you get tired. I mean, it has to help a lot, but do you feel you've almost got it down to a science on, cause I'm sure there's summers where you felt you didn't do it right or you got burnt out uh, summers where maybe you didn't play enough. I mean, do you, you feel like you really have that down to a just absolute, you know, the best thing for you at this point? I would say that every year you learn and you tweak and that never really stops for me. Like I'm a believer and I know you are as well of like, so I have an intention my intention is to do such and such. And then I'm, when, when it's all over, I'm going to look back on it and say, okay, whether I got there or not, I'm going to ask myself, like, what worked and what didn't work, okay? What do I see as possible ways that I can improve or do things differently to give myself a better chance? And I think one of the first revelations I had was uh, to cut working out. So I was playing these long days, and a lot of time I was going to the gym every morning, you know? And by, like, midnight or 1 a.m., when it's crunch time, you got to be, like, focused. I was getting tired because I was sacrificing sleep for the gym. So now I understand the number one priority is good sleep. Um, aside from that, I've done a lot of things over the years to make my life easy. I'm a vegan, as you know, and uh, I have a trailer that's parked right out there, which I, a trick I learned from Phil Ivey years ago. And so I have everything that I need there, a place to relax, a place to rest. Also, as you said, sometimes I'm playing more than one event in a day. So if I bust the first event, I might go to my trailer, unwind for a little bit, relax, take a nap, you know, and then uh, be fresh and ready to give it a go in the next one. So the, the hardest thing I think for anyone who wants to play this grueling grind is to deal with fatigue because um, I don't use drugs, no heroin, no Adderall, no cocaine, none of that stuff. Coffee. So I've never, so here's the thing. I've never used any drugs. I will become a drug addict this summer <laughs> for the first time. I'm going to be doing drugs and those drugs it's, it's, it's called Coffee is unknown. Yes. You know, okay. I used to be really kind of allergic to it and it made me really nauseous, but uh, I've been practicing with it now for three, four weeks. And all of a sudden I'm talking really fast. I'm going crazy. Like this. I'm already crazy. Just give me the coffee. Give me the coffee. Yeah. But what my plan is to do a coffee in the morning and then as needed, maybe one at like 7 or 8 p.m. if necessary. But, but aside from that, like uh, I don't want to go overboard with it because then I feel like the negative effect of like having coffee at midnight means, well, how am I going to sleep? You know, so it'll be a trial and error thing this year, but we will be um, on some performance enhancing drugs. And I'm so, so you said coffee never you've really never had coffee in general or just well, I had coffee, but it always made me sick and nauseous to the point where like, you know, I, I would have one every six months to be social. And then every time I did, I'm like, my stomach's a knot. So tried it again. And, uh, you know, keeping it to one cup, it's been OK. Like my stomach's gotten used to it. Um, and uh, I've noticed like definitely helps with energy and focus um so i think that for the world series of poker specifically the sacrifice is i'm gonna eat you know like a vegan junk food diet <laughs> i'm gonna like you know do the best i can to get sleep i'm gonna have coffee sacrifice a lot in terms of like physical fitness because of the schedule i'm playing now if, I, if you i don't recommend this by the way like okay. best approach if you're looking to maximize your ev is to just like take days off make sure you're healthy eat really good go to the gym for me um, I'm just doing so many events that, uh, my focus is just going to be on playing well and doing whatever I can to keep my brain fresh. And if that means doing drugs, the coffee, 
I'm going to give it a shot this year. You're going to go for it. Yeah, I tried to Adderall one summer for a bit. It worked. I liked it, but the side effects were too crazy. The sleep, I just, I did it for a couple of weeks and then never did it. Coffee, I like coffee. I think, you know, also you did one of those tests, didn't you, for your body to see like what food, how it processes yeah. in you. And I, some, it's interesting because some people really react a lot differently with coffee. Yeah, well, just I, I already knew before I got the food allergy test that coffee was a no-go and the test showed up, coffee's a no-go. But uh, as I said, I've been doing it in moderation for the last month now, maybe, and uh, I'm holding up okay. We'll just have to monitor and see how I do because, like, I don't want to. But I, what I didn't want to have happen was for caffeine at late night to cause me to lose sleep because you need to get six to eight hours at least, and I'm an eight-hour guy, uh, and that's difficult to do when you're playing the 11 a.m. and the 3 p.m. tournament every day. Absolutely. And I, I was, uh, I've, the sleep stuff is, it makes so much sense, but I've been, Bill Perkins actually just showed me this Ted art, Ted talk on it, uh, <laughs> explaining how it works. It really is like, it's the most underrated thing. You just kind of have to get it. I'm the same way. If I don't get eight hours, seven, eight hours, I just, I'm a grouch. I don't feel good. And it's that you got to know yourself. So, um, yeah, man, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm getting, I'm getting very, the FOMO's coming in about missing some events. What's the ones you're looking, maybe people that don't know specifically, cause you are a guy that does not just play no limit hold them what are some of the events that you're really like you're like all right this is my best shot or this is my best event on this summer schedule i know there's short deck now there's some other stuff like what what are you really the most excited about for event wise this year every year my absolute favorite event the one i really get hyped up for the most prestigious in terms of structure and field and everything is the 50k poker players championship which is an eight game mixed tournament i came fifth a couple years ago it was just devastating like I'm emotionally unstable in that event. Like, you can ask anyone. There's a funny story with Ike Haxton because, like, every time I lost a hand, it looked like I was going to rip the cards to shreds. Because in limit poker, you know, you're like, duh, duh. You just get rivered so much because you can't, like, push people off pots, right? Right. So every, every hand I'm living and dying by. And I remember there was a hand I was against Ike Haxton, and it was an Omaha hand, and the board was, like, king eight, five, four, four. And I had pocket kings for kings full. So that's a pretty strong hand. The only hand that beats me is four fours. So he bets, I raise, he three bets. And it's late in the tournament, final table, and I I had a five in my hand, so I was blocking one, and I thought it's pretty much close to either he's got pocket fours or, you know, like, I. so I didn't re-raise him. And then, like, I called, and I showed him the kings, and it was good. And he said, he he goes, he said, I knew I was dead when you didn't break the cards and rip them to shreds when so, I three bets you. That's just, I yeah, just went, that's the one yeah. you want. So you got your eye on that one. That one's a special, that, that's got a special place in your heart. What, uh, I mean, the hen and mob is crazy. Looking back on your, your poker career, tournament career, I mean, it's, it's, it's it's obviously you're closing on 40 million uh total live earnings is a milestone of course you've been the number one earner now there's all these high rollers every day everywhere it's kind of crazy but i mean you know you've done this for so long how would you say when you first got into tournaments how, how long were you playing cash before that and how do you prefer cash versus tournaments how do you look at that and, and i guess now it's different but say during your career talk me through a little bit early stages how that how that shifted or what what the difference was for you so for me when i started my career I started playing Limit Hold'em because there wasn't no Limit Hold'em games. You just didn't find them. There was tournaments that were no limit. But if you wanted to play cash, it was going to be Limit Hold'em. Um, so what I did was I looked at Limit Hold'em cash as my job. So Monday to Friday, noon to 8, I was in there, you know, grinding, making my living. There were tournaments on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday nights that were like $20 mines with rebuys and stuff. I looked at that as kind of like a treat, like a dessert, an opportunity to take some jabs and maybe like build up a bigger bankroll. And also learn how to play No Limit Hold'em for a relatively cheap price at the time. So I always looked at 
cash is a staple of like stability. Because if you're a tournament player, you're going to go through swings that are so big that you require such a big bankroll. Um, it's difficult for most to survive with paying bills. With cash, you can kind of guesstimate roughly what you're going to make each month. I knew back then playing 10, 20 limit hold'em, I was making about 45 bucks an hour, right? In tournaments, I mean, that doesn't mean much because your $45 an hour doesn't realize till, you know, sometimes years, right? But right. with cash, if you are a professional poker player, and I always advise people, if you are going to be a professional poker player, you need to learn how to play cash games at, at some point, and it'll actually improve your tournament game, especially a game like No Limit. Because if you look, you play against cash game players in No Limit tournaments, like when it's deep, they're good. They're better than the tournament players by a good amount. Now, obviously, when ICM gets into there and, you know, short stack play, things change. But when it's deep, like in a main event type thing, the cash game players are where it's at. For sure. And you were so you were born, uh, you got Romanian background. You're from born and raised in Toronto. I know. I, I mean, I grew up in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I think you did. You ever you went to Caesars Windsor some back in the day? Was that it? Did you ever go through Windsor? What was some of the home game uh, type of games you were playing? Was it was that the area you, you frequented or what was where were you then? Like at the original start of your career when you yeah. played? Well, it was in Toronto that we started and we made a couple trips out to Windsor. Me and Evelyn Ng back then, we used to date when we were teenagers and uh, we would go. And uh, we played I see her streaming on Twitch some. You still keep yeah. in touch with her? Does she play? Yeah, yeah. She, she was supposed to make it to the wedding, but she wasn't able to come. Okay. Um, so she, uh, she and I would go there and we play this guy, Farmer Jim's Club, which, you know, was just a bunch of guys and whatnot. There were actually a lot of them from Michigan, okay. uh, oddly enough. Stayed there for like a month or two. And, uh, you know, actually, that's when I got a bad call once when I was in Windsor with her that my dad was, he took a turn. You know, he was already somewhat sick, took a turn. And I remember. We started the drive back because they said, you know, we don't, it looks bad. And the roads were, you know, what Windsor's like when it's snowy, the ice everywhere. I was driving this little Honda Prelude, not, not fit for this kind of weather. Mm-hmm. And I remember um, looking at cars just in the ditches and we just looked at each other and we're like, we'll never make it. So we turned back and then the next day the weather was a little better. We started to make the drive back on the drive home is when we got the call that my, you know, my father had passed and, I, and we missed out on seeing him before he died. But, but, uh, so that was my last time going to Windsor. Um, haven't been back since. Jeez, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, that's a, that's a, wow. That, so that was in, what year was, that was in the, you were 20, what? It was two, 1996 or, or, what was it? 95? I don't remember. So it was before you were 21 then. It was really, yeah. literally right before you got, wow. So, and then, uh, so you then, you're, pl- you're playing cash games and how, how was your mother? I know I've seen, you've seen her in the videos and, and the, and like, she's very supportive of you. See it, make her make, doing meals for you and that, how she was always supportive of your fit, both your family about the poker. Cause that's always interesting to me if you have the support or not. Cause some, you know, some people don't, some people's families just think it's gambling. It's crazy. You don't want anything to do with it. How, how was that? How was the support system for you growing well, up in this and- the short answer is no. I mean, back <laughs> okay. when I, absolutely not. Think about it. Right. The world that you guys live in now, right? Poker's on TV. It's somewhat respectable. It's seen as a profession. In the late 90s, my mom did it. That just sounded like you're going to be a bum. You're going to be a gambler. You're going to be a criminal. You're going to be a crook. My mom said, no, Daniel, forget about the poker. You go to school, <laughs> right? So my dad was cool because he was like a street hustler back in the day. You know, he, he spoke like 11 languages, raised on, on his own without any parents, and uh, he knew I was going to be okay. He figured I'd be fine. My mom took a little more convincing. I had to show her my books, kept, you know, detailed records and said, look, mommy, look, like I'm making this and this and this. And then I bought her a house and a car and she's like, oh, you know, poker's okay. Yeah, I kind of like good. poker now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So there you go. Yeah. Results, results do speak volumes. Um, how, how do you feel the current state 
of poker is because I, I just I know for someone you're connected all the way to the top of where you understand you see the flow and I, I like to think I have a decent idea what's going on but where do you think the state is in terms of legality I saw West Virginia pass Michigan should be passing I mean do you think there is another boom do you think poker is coming back online do you th- do, where do you think we are right now all right. So first and foremost, the boom that we experienced during the golden age of poker after moneymaker and all that stuff, that will never happen again, ever. So let's just like put that aside and be like, OK, guys, let's set our goals a little bit more in the real world, because that's that that perfect storm is never going to happen for a lot of reasons. Obviously, players are too good. And, you know, it's been around for a little bit, a little while now. Having said that, I do think there is opportunity for to see a resurgence in gambling in America. And one of the big reasons for that is the sports legislation. So if sports gambling is being legalized across the country, a lot of these sites that they're going to make a lot more off sports because poker is much smaller niche than sports. Everybody bets on sports. Not everybody plays poker. Having said that as a revenue stream for these sports uh, sites to keep people on there, you know, uh, you could see, I could see some potential, you know, connections or combinations of like, Sports companies adding, uh, you know, poker software and maybe spreading across America. But it's going to be a slow process and likely at the state level rather than, um, you know, uh, countrywide at the federal level. Having said that, though, if you get New York and you get California, you're doing good. right? Right. Those are two pretty big states if you can get that. Yeah, all bets are off. Things are back back humming pretty nicely. Yeah, it's uh it is interesting time. I mean, it's it's just crazy to think that we live in the US and you see the other parts of the world and that, that poker's not legal, daily fantasies legal, sports betting's passing. So, you know, it's hard to say. I, I I'm optimistic, but definitely it's been a little slower than I think when that what was it, the two thousand eleven Black Friday, I, I think we would have I would imagine you would have thought by this time maybe things would have been a little further along. At that I mean, yeah I, used to, yeah, I used to say that joke, really, because, you know, we always talk about the repression of other countries, right? Like Russia or whatever. I'm like, well, people in Russia, they can play online poker. But in America, the land of the free, our government says, no, <laughs> you must not spend your money on such things. We will tell you what entertainment dollars you are allowed to spend and not. Like, who is this sort of authoritarian dictatorship now, right? It's like, uh, it's just an interesting way to look at it because it is silly, of course, we all know, isn't something that you're allowed to play on your laptop at home. Yeah, no, I mean, a lot of lobbying politics. It's 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 a crazy world out there. But I mean, I mean, we've been lucky enough. We still get to play a fair amount. We get to we've you know, we've had good runs online in terms of times when we could do it. It is it is uh, it's going to be curious to see how it all shapes up. Um, I did. You know, obviously, a lot of a lot of I mean, big news about you departing from PokerStars. I mean, you're the face, the, the ambassador of the company. I obviously was with PokerStars as well for a few years. Uh, we were both there for, during the same time. You know, I, I just, um, there's a lot of questions about that, obviously. Just wanted to check in. And you did make a statement. There's a video you guys can check on his uh, Twitter, you know, um, Instagram as well. You made a statement. But is there, you know, you were there for how many years? 12, 11, 12 years? I was there 12 years, but I was never as much of an all-around athlete as Jeff Gross, man. He's worn a lot of different hats, right? <laughs> and, you know, now he's you know in a happy place there, which is great for you. For yep. me, you, like you said, 12 years, right? That's a long time to be with an online company. Um, you know, we went through, like, the ups and downs, of course, with a lot of, like, positive memories, really. A lot of fondness that I have for a lot of the people that work there. You know, here's the thing. When you work for a company and you've worked for several, you know that, like, you don't get to make all the decisions. You get to provide your input, but ultimately, you know, the heads of the company and the stockholders or whatever are going to make the ultimate decisions. Having said that, when you choose to wear a patch and you choose to represent a company, 
that you represent them. So you have to decide for yourself if this is something that, uh, you know, you're okay with. And I take that very, very seriously. Right. Um, and obviously, you know, I think you and I agree. And most of the people would look back on the S and E debacle. And at the time and say that that was something that was a turning point and was a low moment, um, for the company in terms of its ability to connect with players because it was a broken promise. Right. Frankly, like, I mean, I know that we talk about communication errors. Well, the bottom line is, you know, the site said one thing and it wasn't honored. Um, that was difficult for me. That was probably the toughest point of my poker career as a whatever you want to call it, ambassador or anything like that. And I remember working every day towards trying to convince, you know, the, those in making decisions that we need to delay this year. Not, not, not do it because I'm a big believer in getting rid of that program. Absolutely. This program makes no sense long term for a company. Yeah. But doing it in the way that they did and not delaying it a year was very, very difficult. Having said that, as I said, you know, I don't make all the decisions in this case. 12-year run with the company. It felt. It feels like it's a good step for both of us at this point. I, I want to direction. Yeah, I want to point out as well. I think with Twitter technology, the time frames, you know, you can kind of get barbecued or lambasted as like the, the face of someone. Something doesn't go right. But, you know, you have to think about it where people are saying, say you don't agree with one thing in a company. You know, are you expecting, like, say you work for Ford Motor Company or you're high up at a company or you're, you know, so-and-so, you're an NBA player and the, you don't agree the manager, the owner, you know, an issue, maybe it's major, but like, you can't, it's not just like, all right, like one thing's not right or I disagree and it's just like, I'm out, you know? It's like, you're talking about lively your contract, your deal, and you want to embrace, you want to give feedback, you want to, you know, you want to provide value and give, you know, try to connect the dots or everything, but it, it's not that simple. We're just like, you know, and a company has their stance. You, you as one man, you're not just going to like change that stance necessarily, you know? So it's, it's a little bit complicated. Well, yeah, well, like, like you're saying, essentially, is like, if you're not running the company, they're going to make decisions sometimes that you really, really love and others that you maybe disagree with. That's true of whatever company you work for. You know, whatever your boss thinks might be not exactly what you think. Ultimately, it comes down to your view of like, is this something that's so egregious that I can no longer, you know, be a part of it or anything along those lines? And obviously, you know, at the time of the SNE thing, that was a struggle for me mentally to figure out, like, is this something that I can continue to do, um, you know, despite feeling like the players were betrayed in that moment in the way that it happened? And it was a very, very difficult decision. Ultimately, I chose to stay with the company. And, uh, you know, I did for several more years. And now, I, like, as I said, 12 years very, very pleased and happy with the run. And I think, you know, they are as well as an amicable split. As you know, you've worked with them. It was, you know, you moved on to different things and I'll move on to the World Series of Poker Grind and, and whatever else comes next. Yeah. And I mean, you got, you're talking babies, you just got married. It's like, you got, you know, it's not like uh, you, you've, you had, I mean, you had a really insane run. It's not like, and when you leave Poker Star, it's not like you're just not in poker. You're just doing a little different uh, different route at the moment. I just want to ask you too, what was, give me a highlight, something that, you know, was maybe either known or not known that was so enjoyable or that you loved about your time working with them and maybe something there that was like, you know, everyone's like, oh, it's a dream to have a sponsorship and to be with someone, but maybe something that was not your favorite, like that either people might know or not know, but how, what would you say on the high and the lows of like being on that, that uh, being such a uh, the face of such a big company, the main, yeah. you know. I think one of the things that you benefit from when you work with a top brand in poker, and I think you know it's it's not much, it's not a stretch to say that Poker Stars has been at the premier forefront in terms of numbers and online gaming. Um, the access they had to uh, growing the game in a lot of unique ways, whether it was me on the beach with Kevin Hart and uh, Usain Bolt. Or, you know, shooting some really high-end commercials with Joseph Kahn, where, you know, I was playing pool, I'm playing hockey. A lot of really cool moments to, you know, I did a commercial with Matt Sandin, 
who, you know, was a childhood hero, played for the Toronto Maple Leafs. So a lot of really cool opportunities and a lot of like the ad campaigns are probably some of my fonder memories. Um, having all the team pros there, everyone doing their own little shtick. Vanessa Russo bungee jumping, you know, like you had Andrea Kari playing football or something like that. So a lot of really fond memories from that perspective. Um, obviously, another one of the more, you know, scary times was Black Friday. I was with the company back then as well. And I remember um, how scary that was when I woke up in the morning and my agent, Brian, he called me at my on my home line. No, he does not call me on my home line yeah. unless it's important. So yeah. I saw that. and I was like, oh, boy, what's going on? I called him and he's like, sites are shut down. Everything's frozen. I'm like, what's going on? You know, <laughs> um, you know, then at the time talking to Eastside Scheinberg about what was happening and, you know, the changes in the direction the company was going to have to go in um, downsize somewhat. I mean, United States of America not being able to you know, access that player pool changes the landscape of the company drastically. Right. So, yeah. um, you know, I remember discussing with him and we were fair with each other and uh, understood that some adjustments would have to be made, uh, both to my contract and, you know, my position there. But, uh, I thought that, uh, honestly, I thought poker stars were, was like a savior. I mean, they saved the day because full tilt, as you saw, didn't handle their business properly. Right. right. A lot of player funds were outstanding poker stars without them, we don't know today. I doubt, actually, that those funds would ever be back in the hands of those players. I think that um, for as much as, you know, whatever they, you know, you know, um, hate that they get, that's something they should always be commended for because they really saved so many bankrolls. Like, I think Brian Hastings had like four million on there. Yeah, Jungle so, like, Man. This guy was, jungle Man jungle well. Man, He had like his whole life on there. And these guys would have been busto, you know, like million dollar bankrolls. It's crazy. It is crazy. It's it, that whole situation is is wild. I mean, now you know, obviously, like I I moved over to party poker. They're doing a lot of stuff. There is competition. It's good when there's competition too. I think if there's no comp, you know, it makes sense. There's a monopoly. There's no- I've always said that. You know, there's no question about that. Right. Even when I was a sponsor pro with Stars, seeing party poker making an effort to try to you know you know give players an option in different places that they can play. That's good because it drives competition. It actually you know you could make the argument that it's what sparked. The Poker Stars Players Championship, which was a nine million dollar giveaway, all the guarantees and things that you know Rob Young and the company were doing, um, you know that was you know obviously the people at Poker Stars take notice and they're saying okay. Back in the day when it was Poker Stars versus Full Tilt, it was an arms race to give people more and you know to do more and put more shows on TV and things like that. But for many years, there was a huge just void since Black Friday of any sort of marketing expenditures from other companies. Typically, the strategy was this: Poker Stars spends money marketing. Brings in players, right? The other companies try to take those players. Viable strategy, it's a lot cheaper too. So you don't have to have to spend that big marketing budget. Um, realistically, Stars was the only one in that space that was spending any you know, substantial amount of money bringing in new players. And as you know, to run an online poker site, you cannot run a site if it's just a bunch of geniuses. You right. need people that deposit money and don't withdraw money because they lose overall. Without that, there is no equilibrium and there is no site. Nobody makes money. There's no pros. It just disappears. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I was actually just in Montreal and was talking with Bill Perkins and Rob Young. And it kind of started built through this out there. And Rob's a little crazy on guarantees and doing stuff. And was talking about a $100 million 10K buy-in. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? So World Series has had 8,700 entries. It's a freeze-out 10K. So 87, take the juice, like 82 million in the purse. But what do you think about that? Do you think that's a possible 100 million 10K buy-in? Maybe say you could re-enter you know, three starting days. Is that something you think? could happen um do you if you had to say I mean, yes or no do you think that could go down I, I don't see why not as you said you when we point to the world series of poker main event 
which brings in about 80 million. If you were able to do multiple heats across different areas, sure, that's something that can be done. I guess the question I would look at is like, for what, right? So I love all these big guarantees, all these things. My question ultimately is like, what is the goal or intention with this event? Is it to create something really like as a spectacle, as a one-off to sort of, you know, give back the players? If so, cool. But is there some way that you're going to use this as a marketing tool to bring more players in the game? My biggest concern always for any company is how do we get more new players to deposit and to play? There's a, there's something to be said about retention, right? Which is making sure that the players that have been there for you for years and years continue to play on your site. But I think it's a more important variable overall to bring in new blood, if you will, because, um, you know, and again, you know, you know how good players are now. Like yeah. in 2004, you take a random guy, he has 200 bucks. He goes and sits in a one, two cash game. He's probably going to lose if he's not that good, but you know what? He might lose after like a month or two. He does that now, that same guy, and he sits with, like, all guys, you know, just locked up on HUDs and geniuses and, like, multi-tabling, and they're all super good. Like, he might not win one session. So when that happens, he's like, man, this sucks. Maybe he deposits one more time, and he's like, I'll put another 200. Now he gets obliterated, humiliated, demoralized, destroyed again, right? Is he going to do it again? Probably not. What we saw, what I think we've seen, you know, industry-wide is first-time depositors that become second-time depositors – falls and then by three they're like nah so party poker world series poker poker stars all of them realized that we need to reinvigorate and you know bring new people in with some gimmicky type games i'm you know i'm in vegas here so i can play in wsop i play this blast game okay it's a four-handed sit and go it's similar to like a spin and go type thing uh, on stars where you know you don't know what the prize is it's a little lottery system relatively high rake or whatever but it's quick it's fun it's engaging you can play it on your phone you got all kinds of wrecks coming back to the game. And I know pros are like, these games, <laughs> yeah, break traps. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Guys, how do you think we're going to bring these people in? You think we want these people are going to want to come here and say like, oh, oh, here, guys, come on in. Get to play with six freaking sharks and lose all your money really fast. Yeah. <laughs> you sell that. I can't. Yeah, I hard. can't sell that. I I'll can't t- sell a guy to come in and say, oh, here's five geniuses that are going to absolutely destroy you. With their, hoodies up, with their hoodies up and, and I mean, what do you want me to do? Yeah, it's <laughs> tough. Um, I, I, uh, that's interesting you say that. I think, you know, the thing is, though, the numbers are up. Like, overall, if you look at the series, there's new tournaments, new new external series coming up. The number hit these bigger guarantees. The live, I mean, I don't think live poker is going anywhere. And it seems like they're, it's it's flourishing. Um, I think that has to do with YouTube and, and uh, Twitch and Poker Go and the, the contents and all that stuff. I, I think it really does matter. Matter, but I, you know, online I'm a little skeptical about. I want to know what you think about the the HUDs because I, I know parties going to be banning HUDs. It looks like overall, and I mean, it's they're kind of stepping out. And I, I've I, you know I don't know about Stars and other sites exactly, but you know they're trying to find ways to do this. They're getting rid of bots. Um, they're they're going to hurt their bottom line in some ways, but trying to get back to that ne- that neutrality and and help out here. What, what do you think on that? Do you play with the HUD? Have you ever played with the HUD online or? I did when I was playing, you know, pretty regularly. I was definitely using a HUD because it's, you know, why not? It was a legal tool right. and it's worthwhile to get some, you know, information on my opponents. Um, having said that, I agree with you and your sentiment so much so in terms of live poker will never go anywhere. I think online poker is fine too, but it has to change and it has to yeah. adapt. High stakes online poker, we've seen since the days of Rail Heaven on Full Tilt with Gus Hansen and Phil Ivey and Gilly Those days are few and far between. Those are gone. And this isn't anyone's fault. 
this isn't party poker's fault. It's not poker star's fault. It's the fact that these players have gotten so damn good that there are solvers that exist today. One like PO solver that yeah. these guys are getting so they're playing to the point of you know close to perfection. This guy OTB Red Baron. If you run his you know if you run his hand histories into POI solver, he's playing pretty close to perfectly, right? So the more that happens. The fewer people that are going to be able to, like, what? how many random people are going to want to go, oh, I want to sit in that game when, you know, you can't possibly win. So I would expect stakes to drop. I would also expect a lot more events, like, I know pros don't like the, you know, the KO bounty things, right? Guess what? They're awesome. The vast majority of people do like them. So it's not about what makes you the most money. It's about what most people enjoy playing. So if everybody wants to play knockout tournaments, put a whole bunch in the lobby, like, if people like these gimmicky sit and goes or different things like that, and that's where you're getting the most traffic as a business, as a company, you almost have a fiduciary responsibility to offer more of what people want. Right. And worry less about sort of the, the, the dying games. I said this the other day about if you were a stud player back in the day, right, you had plenty of games to choose from. Well, guess what? Studs started to die. So you have two choices. You either just quit and get a job or you learn how to play hold'em, or you learn to adjust and adjust to the new game formats. And I think, we're just at the press, 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 press We're just at the beginning of uh, creation of like all types of different game formats and different things. You see the popularity of something like short deck, um, but I think we're going to continue to see all the sites, all of the online poker sites, continue down the road of thinking of like what are ways we can compete with Candy Crush, with you know all these other games and that are pulling our entertainment that are quick, instant gratification, like the Blitz thing or the Blast thing that I'm playing after six minutes. Everybody's all in, you know, it's fun and easy and you know exactly how long it's going to take. Um, and for yeah. a casual player, it seems like a lot more enjoyable than playing against five wizards. Absolutely. I see my wife in the chat. Amelia is saying hi uh, to you. Hey. Daniel. <laughs> so we'll have to, you'll meet, meet the baby boy, hopefully this summer towards the end. Um, what I, I did say one number that's alarming uh, that I noticed and you probably know better was the World Series main event stats like the 21 to 25 year olds that played the main and it was pretty low I, I don't know the exact number but it was like I was shocked when I saw it I mean it was just like they were gone and it was like and in the females as well pretty low so I mean that's another thing trying to find ways to get sort of females involved and, and the younger well, let's males look, let's look at those two numbers right females actually percentage wise it really hasn't changed much it's really always been around five to six percent and you know i've always heard these conversations about what can we do to bring in more women you know and there's no easy answer to this question it's not as simple as you know not having advertising where there's a woman in a bikini that doesn't that's not going to all of a sudden women are going to be like oh my god now that there's no exploitation of women i'm going to start playing poker a game that i didn't have any interest in before yeah um in addition to that the other side of it the young players well the reason for that is obvious right Without the access of online poker, there was no demographic when I grew up in the late 90s of 21 to 25. It was me, John Juanda, Alan Cunningham, Phil Ivey, and Lane Flack and Kirk Morrison. Six people. Obviously, with online poker, all these kids who you know had half a brain and could figure out how to play poker started to make millions of dollars and have the buy-in to put up 10K. 10K is a lot of money to a 21-year-old you know, college kid. So it's not surprising to me at all, and it's 100% related online poker not being allowed in the United States. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that, that's for sure. If that comes back, that we'll see that change. But it's again, the, for me, it's optimistic with the numbers up. There's just the live stops have been up. The, the people seem to really enjoy the online content. Are you uh, you're doing so? I mean, you've been doing the World Series, the con- the World Series coverage, and the, the overall broadcasting. It just seems to be getting so much better. The whole cards, how they're doing it, the t- the shot clock introduction, the big blind Annie. I mean, these are things I think are it's crazy to think about, right? Like looking over your career, like I, how I mean, imagine they had big blind Annie twenty years ago the last that they're that 10 years ago you know that helps with speed that helps with uh, enjoyability it helps with a lot of different things i mean there's always like it just when things start to get kind of like worse there's some some innovations some differences you know how, how much do you think those matter the shot clock in the uh like the big blind annie for example at the world series i think the main event will be big blind annie this year there was a debate if that was going to happen or not and it did i'm sure i know you've been active as well on the some of the formats the structures and helping with you know live stops as well as wsop so what do you think on all that? How much does that help? Well, I mean, one of the key things you have to do is, and I talked about this a little bit before, is evolve with the times. And when you see issues arise in poker, there sometimes need to be rule changes. One, the first one, you know how everyone plays hand for hand now? That wasn't a thing before. It didn't exist until one guy, Oklahoma Johnny Hale, he, he, he got it. He's like, okay, when you know, we're three out of the money, I'm just going to sit there. Like, you know, like a chooch and just stall, right? So once that happened, they were like, well, what do we do here? He's ruining the game. Right. If everyone does what he does, it destroys the game. So they had to, you know, impart a rule called, you know, uh, hand for hand. Today, what we're seeing without a shot clock is a lot of people ruining the game by simply taking far too much time. That that's, you know, out of out of range. So, for example, if every hand and this isn't all that crazy in some high rollers, if they were given ample time, if every hand, every hand took 15 minutes, like I saw, you know, Byron Caverman and Christoph Vogel saying when there was no shot clock took an aces versus kings hand, 15 minutes. Aces against kings, pre-flop, right? Which is supposed to be like, boo, 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 let's go. 15 minutes. Right. If every hand took 15 minutes, you play four hands an hour. How enjoyable is that? That ruins the game. So one of the ways to address that, it was, it was sort of like similar to the NBA in basketball. They realized there was a problem with teams just holding on to the ball. And you can't get it, so they imposed a shot clock, 24-second clock. Yeah. Poker, it, it just became uh, out of necessity. As far as big blind Annie goes, that's a really cool innovation that came from Kerry Katz, and it's amazing we didn't think of it earlier, and it just makes things a little cleaner and easier. You know what it's like when you play at the three and 600 level, and it's a 7,500, a 75 Annie. Oh, what a headache, yeah. right? Get change, change, this and that. It's hooted nanny, anti-gate, all this kind of stuff, which you know, we've seen over the years. Like now, it's like, hooted nanny? You, dude. You're the big blind. Like, it's only you. Yeah. Um, I have a guy, Alan Boston, who, uh, you know, you probably heard of him. He's the sports betting guy. He, uh, he's pissed. Oh, man, it makes it a crapshoot. A lot of people, it comes from just like not understanding that, yes, there's going to be a couple strategy adjustments for sure. Like if you're under the gun now, you have to factor in the fact, you know, there's, you're going to have to make some adjustments to your opening ranges, right? Um, and that just makes, adds a little bit more skill to the game. It doesn't take anything away. It just requires like, you know, a lot of shove charts that people have. That should change now a slightly based off of uh, you, the fact that you're going to have to put in all the annies on the very next hand. That makes that makes a lot of sense. Give it, give me a, um, this, this WSOP time is exciting. Give me some, give me a WSOP tip or two for someone who's coming out. They're watching. They're like, man, I want to go. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm a little nervous. Like, give me your, give me a couple like things that as someone who hasn't ever been there, 
might want to know. Even if it's something like registrations, early, get there before. Like, how, uh, how do you feel about regi- starting on time versus not on time or depending, rest, right? Rest is first for you, but what what, uh, what other? Well, give me some tips. Give me some summer All right. tips, Daniel. So Spill for first timers, right? I have like very strong opinions about this. If you're a first timer with a World Series poker and you're coming in to play an event on Wednesday, right? You're all excited. You're going to play the 1K, you know, whatever, you know, my millionaire maker bounty, triple shooter, whatever you're playing, right? <laughs> I think it's worthwhile to show up a day or two before and just walk around. I mean, really, just get a sense of what it's like. Go to the satellite area. See what types of players are there. Check out the whole facility. Under, know where the food is, okay? So what am I going to eat? Where am I going to be playing? Um, and then, uh, you know, register early and show up on time. Like, I really think you want to just have fun with it. Like, really just focus on that and don't forget that. That's part of the big reason you're there. And as far as strategy-wise, like, you're not going to be able to change the way you play on the fly, right? So whatever game you bring in there from your home game, whether, you know, in South Dakota, like, you got certain moves that you like to make or ways to play, play your game. Play your game. Don't be intimidated by Phil Helmuth or, our, you know, Alex Foxen or Fedor Holtz. Do what you do and what you know, know how to do best, right? And uh, as I said, have fun with it. I really think it's worthwhile to show on time, especially for your first event. Uh, and just appreciate how much of a blessing it is just to be part of the World Series of Poker. It was different for me because, as I said, I, I took 96, 97. It took me three years to just get into an event, to be able to experience it in the same way that others did. And I remember looking back on that with nostalgia because it's such a precious moment. And I want for every first timer to have that experience. Like I'm actually playing in the freaking World Series of Poker. And so show up on time, have fun, play your game and prepare. I love it. That's that's great advice. Um, I want to mention since we're on this topic and, and sort of preparing and playing these events, I, I got your YouTube pulled up here so the viewers can take a look at the side. Uh, almost three hundred thousand. Wow, it's a lot on YouTube. I didn't. I, I see you have the vlog series coming up. So tell me about. People love your summer vlogs. You have a you have a film. Uh, someone who's in the past has gone around and sort of done the filming for you so you can kind of just play and don't have to deal with it because that's something i've done both ways and it does obviously help a lot to not to have someone doing it for you so you don't have to fiddle with it and you just get to kind of enjoy your life how much will you be doing that this summer and what what has that been like for you over the years and and sort of learning and improving that process so that's not exactly how i do it because essentially all the footage you see with few exceptions is me shooting it Uh, i don't have someone following me Christian is the guy who will take all those clips. Essentially, what I've done in the past with a simple old iPhone is I text him any videos. He pulls them in. Usually, he comes into my trailer late to get them in higher quality because text doesn't do so well. This year, hopefully, it's going to download straight to the iCloud. And then I just shoot the video, right? That's my job. Like, in the morning, I'll do a drive-in video, talk about, you know, my plans, shoot anything I think that's interesting. Christian will get some cool cuts. And then... What he does is he sends them to Athena, which is Eric Froland's uh, fiance, wife. I'm not sure if they're married yet. Okay. Well, you know, his, yeah. his, his, his lady. Yeah. And uh, she does a killer job, okay? She does like – we had a guy before, JT, who did it, and he never met a single deadline. Not once. He just couldn't do it. <laughs> She's hit every single deadline every time. So we like to have it up by around noon the next day so it's fresh for people. And we do a daily one. So she's, she wakes up around midnight, okay? Wakes up around midnight and starts editing – and, you know, she gets done maybe like three, four o'clock in the morning, has it up in the morning, ready and fresh for everyone to see. 
And uh, I think people enjoy the fact that it's steady content. It's like, it becomes like a TV series, if you will, because um, you can follow along each day. And I think this year it'll be even be more fun because uh, a lot of people are going to have a piece of the action as well. And uh, we'll hopefully do some one-offs throughout the series so people that are watching the vlog regularly and those affected can um, you know get involved in an in in actual financial sweat. Yeah, that's crazy. So, guys, again, Daniel is he will have action. He has action up. And I guess there will be more action in the future. You can get a piece of Daniel and check his Twitter, uh, Instagram and he, he YouTube. You put a video up as well. I saw explaining how that will all go down. So, yeah, you guys want a piece you want. To, it's pretty cool. You know, you get to from low events to high everything. Right. You got it's a 1500 or uh, the 100K. There is going to be some availability. Well, like I said, we did the low, medium, and high package. That's what we sold to people. But what I'm going to do, and, and this is just gonna, the way it has to be, is like of the people affected, which we're talking about like 8,000 people, I'm going to make sure that any sort of pieces that are available go to them first. Okay. They're going to have first right of refusal. Likely they're all going to sell out, unfortunately, before it goes open to the public again. But once I feel like everyone's gotten a chance to have a good sweat, then we'll open it back up to the public. And I think it's something that I'm going to continue to do. You know, um, it's fun. It's fun to have a sweat. It also holds me accountable because, I mean, you know, just as well as I do, sometimes, you know, you're in a tournament, you're just not feeling it. And you're like, ah, whatever. I got nine bigs. Let's just ship it in there. Right. I'm not going to do that with other people's money. I'm not. You know, it's going to force me to focus really, really hard to not be irresponsible with it and to really try hard because there's, there's more than I'm not just playing for me. I'm playing for other people. And that I, that's always driven me to play better. So that's kind of the extra little kick in the ass motivation that I thought would come of me selling pieces at, at markup. I know markup as yeah, well. Yeah, no markup is crazy too. The markup police, I know Sean Deeb and these other guys have been you know, ca- calling out people and, and this is a whole nother debate in itself. What what can you post at? Is it unethical if you post at a markup but people are informed? I I, I do want to actually mention and talk just because I'm curious on your take and uh, articulating this. Helmy's got some slack for some like 1.8 posting of something, but how do you feel if people are informed? Because it's one thing that a lot of people don't get markup, and it's a little confusing. You know, the events you sell ten thousand dollar main event. What are you worth in the main event? I don't know, maybe 3.0, 2. Point something. Who knows? But it's it's sort of ambiguous. But you just want people to understand. Can you maybe explain that what that is, and how do you feel about people that post at markups? Um, do, you, do you feel it's up to the person if they can get it? It's okay, or do, where do you fall on that? Obviously. 1.0 is crazy and you just take away all the debate and that's like basically charity. I mean, you're giving away at 1.0 in, in these fields, you're, you're giving, you know, that's super generous and you just take that away. But what do you think about this debate on market? All right. Lots of opinions. First and foremost, I am totally against the idea of taking a gun and putting it to someone's head and saying, you need to buy my package at 1.6. I don't think we should do that. Okay. Right. Luckily, that's not happening. All right? right. What is happening is People post a package, post a price, and then other people look at it. They guess they, they decide for themselves whether this has value to them or not, right? So the market sets the price. There is literally no possible way to know with precision what the correct markup is for any player in any event. It is not possible. We don't know who's going to be playing. We don't know where a play, player's mind's at, you know, the skill level of everyone. Not possible. So it's always subjective, and it's always up to the buyer and the seller. So I don't have, I actually, what I have a problem with calling people who are over, you may be selling for more than you think is valuable. You can say that you can publicly go, Hey man, you shouldn't buy at 1.8. He's only worth 1.3 in this thing. No problem with that. But when you go past that and you start calling people scammers and thieves as though they're dishonorable and they're doing something shady to say that about Phil Helmuth, who I've known for years, he believes he's worth 1.8. That's what he thinks. I don't agree. 
right? Because it's a super turbo bounty and you don't agree, but he does. He's not scamming people. He's not trying to squeeze a 20 extra dollars out of grandma Betty. He thinks he's worth that, right? Right. And, I don't and- think he's trying to screw people over. So I'm, a, I'm just, a, I'm not a believer of a society where we have to hold people's hand from making bad investments if it's bad for them. And also you look at you, right? You and uh, Johnny Vibes and all these people, you create all this content. You don't get paid for it. You create all this free content for people. You know what? Johnny Vibes, he's charging 1.38, which didn't even sound out of line to me. It seems about reasonable. Right. But he's also providing you know, value to people with, with, you know, with videos and all these kind of things. And they want a little taste. They want a little piece. And, that, and that's true, too. You don't, you don't understand. It. He's got video. He's got editor. He's spending time. It's travel. There's all this other stuff. Exactly. It's very hard. Uh, and you start trying to play. You know, you, you're telling people what's right and wrong. That's a great way to look at it. I think, I, I'm, I'm on your side on that. I just think it's important not to be predatorial. And you know, if people are getting taken advantage of or they don't understand how markup works, if you're transparent, you explain how it works, you say what it is, and you got people that want want to pay for it and support you it's almost like a tip in a way even if it's slightly high that they're supporting you and what you're doing and they get to sweat it's action you know not everyone gets to buy a piece of daniel so around you or I, I believe in capitalism i believe in capitalism right yeah. if you sold hamburgers right and people loved your hamburgers and you're selling them for five bucks right and it costs you about two bucks to make that hamburger you're selling them for five but people love them so much that if you charge ten not one single person wouldn't pay it, right? You're kind of making a really poor business decision by selling at five overall. You're costing yourself revenue. If you run the company and you're the CEO and you continue to sell at five because you just want to be a good old good guy, you're a horrible CEO if, in terms of capitalism. Like if people are more than willing to pay 10, then the burger's worth 10, right? If people are willing to pay because they think there's value in Phil Helmuth at 1.8 and a super, to- super turbo, they're not wrong because in their view, it's valuable. They get the joy and the sweat right. out of either eating the burger or getting to watch Phil Hellmuth and knowing that they're involved in this. But thing. let's be honest, too, because you can't get you can't get access to that. People aren't texting Antonio Esfandiari or Daniel Negreanu. Even for you, when you have this system, you know, software, ways that people can access it, You even if you wanted to, you couldn't. You don't want your friends. You can't deal with 20 people messaging you. It's, it's distracting. It's annoying. You got to collect. You got to pay. You want to have a way where it's done and people have access. That's worth something, too. People, you know, you, you, they can't get a sweat of these guys and they love poker and they maybe they can't come out for the summer. So, yeah, it's a, it's I think it got blown out of proportion, but I, that's a really articulate way of uh, of saying it. So that's that's cool. Daniel, I know you got a you got a roast tonight. You got some stuff going on. I, I want to I mean, we could talk forever. I, I, I have there's a lot of questions on Twitter. We do have a fifty five dollar giveaway for the retweet as well. So I do want to hit some of those um, hit some of the questions because there's a lot. And I mean, this is man. I don't even know. I, we're gonna have to probably rapid fire some of those. What what uh, what is tonight? You got a little. It's a it's a Helmuth roast or what's going on? I won't be able to make the Helmuth roast because I'm hosting once again. Since 2011, I started hosting the 25K uh, Fantasy Draft for the World okay. Series of Poker. Uh, it's a lot of fun. I mean, the first two years it was done at Howard Letterer's house for obvious reasons. He's no longer hosting it. Okay. Uh, I took over in 2011. I take in all the money. I host it. I set it up. I make the calls. Like it's it's kind of my little baby. And we have a guy who's fantastic. He set up the website, 25kfantasy.com. And, uh, you know, it's just a lot of fun, a lot of statistics you can look at. And just a great time for a bunch of pros to get together, you know, make some prop bets for the summer. And, and it gives the fans a chance to follow along all year. 
25 i'm gonna check that out i didn't know you there was a there was a site for that that's pretty cool 25fantasy.com oh look at that 25k 25k fantasy.com i got it up right now so this is what this was last year's or this is well it has the history at all like if you click on the history tab you can look at all time who's the biggest point getter who got the most points here before last year dan fleischman who you know, people used to make fun of his picks. He's like, oh, he's, this guy sucks. He's dead money. He won it last year. Wow. So he's a big fan of it. He, he'll be there again this year. What is, what I'm is, not cashed since 2011. So, you know. Wow. What does what <laughs> first place get in this? So it depends on the number of players. So we expect anywhere from 10 to 12. So that's, you know, if there's 12 people, that's 250000 to divvy up. So we'll usually do something like 125, 75, 50, or something in that neighborhood, depending okay. um, on, on how many players we get. Cool. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, it's fun. That that is does make a lot of fun. What um, what, give me a couple. Uh, your if people always want to know. I mean, you've been around with these guys from the original, the Poker After Dark on TV, and and all this. The Ivies, uh, Helmuth, Antonio's. Like, who who would you say are you surprised that is still around and kicking, or, or uh, that you knew they would be legend, or maybe even just say this way: Who did you know could could withstand time? You see Eric Seidel, and he's still mixing it up in the the high stakes as well tournaments um you know it's, it's rare not a lot of guys make it in poker over longevity so is there any of the guys that you just you've kind of been on this ride with and you're just like yeah i knew they would be there you know there's one most surprised me but then doesn't and it's john juanda john juanda you know he lives in japan now he's got kids and lives you know quiet life but this guy still crushes you know he plays in these triton events buys in for a million bucks and you know he competes he's a very smart guy like i remember he had a prop bet against timex a few years ago where you know he had made him a bet that he couldn't be 25 50 no limit hold him online and John doesn't use solvers and software or whatever. He just uses John Juanda old school skills. So he's definitely one. The one that I'm, you know, just took a sort of a different turn in his life, which was interesting. And he's always been someone we, ex- we experience as being the most knowledgeable uh, and intricate is, is Alan Cunningham. So Alan really got into chess. He got into more laid back life. And I saw a lot of questions popping up about Alan. And, uh, you know, he doesn't like the 3 p.m. starts. Like he's like, I don't know, he's like an oldest young guy I know. So he's like, I don't want to stay up till two in the morning. You're like, he'll play the 11 a.m.s, but he won't play like the late ones. Um, but yeah, he sort of just kind of took himself out of the high stakes poker environment. And that was definitely a surprise because he's more than talented enough to, you know, be a successful player at any, at any level. That's yeah, no, that's that's cool though. It is cool to be around and be be in the uh, the industry for so long and and just you know see you here still going for it, going for the, your third WSOP Player of the Year. What which which accolade has been the most? Is that to you the most um, the ones you've won or that you've you've had? Has that been the most important to you to win that? Do you think that that, that you know World Series sort of like a Super Bowl? It's the way everyone looks at. It, everyone gets excited about. Is that is that the most? That's always on your calendar. That I want to win Player of the Year for that. Has that been the most impressive or best thing for you? So for me, whether it's best all around of the series or the, of, of the year or whatever the case, those, those sort of things drive me because like, sure, you can win a tournament. A lot of people can do that, but like to put in the blood, sweat and tears to be, you know, have the best series. And I remember way back in 1997, my first sort of foray into tournament poker, I won the best all around player at Foxwoods later one, you know, LAPC, you know, best all around player. I used to fight for that again. That's where I met John Juwanda. We were both looking at the list. We're looking to see where our names are. And I look at, who's this guy? Who's this guy? And he's like, oh, that's John Juwanda, right? And we were both, you know, grinding for it. And the World Series of Poker is my playground now. You know, you play video games, a lot of people that do, you play to get to the next level, to get the high score, all those kind of things. World Series of Poker is my opportunity to do that. And I kind of have this thing in my head where what I'd like to do is win my third before anyone else wins their second. Because I'm the only one that has two right now, but that's going to change. You know, it's a small group of people 
that are going to play like a big enough schedule to really have a good chance at it. So I'll be battling with a lot of these guys. And uh, this year, I'm going to give myself a better chance, as I said, because I'm going to expand my schedule and play a lot of the small events that give out way too many points. Are you the favorite overall, would you say, in your mind? Like, well, if you had to put lines, like, give me a couple guys that you would that you got to keep an eye out for right now this summer for player of the year. Is there well, a handful? Is there, is there 10 guys that could win? Is it 25? Is it five? Realistically, how many could win? I'd say it's in the numberhood of 25 to 40. Um, as far as guys that you look at, you look at the last couple winners. You look at Chris Ferguson a couple years ago. He late regs every single tournament and gives himself a chance. Sean Deeb, not only does he play all the tournaments, he'll triple play. Like, he played – I don't do that. I won't multi-table. Like, if I'm in a tournament, I'm not buying into another event. I think Sean made, like, three final tables at the same time or something no like that. He was playing in three different tournaments no and was way. in the final table of all three or something like that. Yeah, or the final day at least. So he's obviously going to be a threat. Mike Leah this year won't be because he just had a baby. But typically, he's a guy that puts in crazy amounts of volume. Um, and then it really depends. You know, like there's a lot of guys who are really good. It'll depend how they start. And if they start really strong, now they'll be like motivated to go for player of the year. And that makes the race um, a lot more interesting down the stretch. All right. So uh, that makes. All right. So that, that's more than I would have thought. I would have thought it's only 10 or 15 could win it. But I guess, yeah, it depends. Someone gets hot. They win a couple bracelets. And, you know, yeah, it could, it could be. That makes, that makes sense. Two, two other things I want to talk about. Marriage. You just got married to Amanda, who uh, again, yeah, I wish she could have been there. That was it looked like an unbelievable wedding. Um, that was uh, your. Can you talk a little about the history and um, how that all kind of came? Because I know a lot of people out there, they, they they're, they're in relationships, they aren't together, cause you, and then they get back, or it's kind of like a fairy tale story in some respects. You that was a girl you bought a ring for, correct? At one point, and she didn't even know it. Can you tell us a little bit about that story? Because that's pretty cool. So, so here's the story with me and Amanda and it starts back when she was like 21, you know, I was what, 31, just, you know, I was married. So, you know, whatever she started coming on the scene and, uh, you know, playing, you know, doing the thing or whatever. And we met and then I'll, you know, after I got divorced, I just, she just had this, there was just a spark. There was a chemistry. Every time she interviewed me, we had a really great connection. A couple of years later, it was about 10 years ago. I was ready. You know, I'm, I'm in my thirties. I'm ready to marry. And so I bought this ring. I knew she was had this idea of what a ring would like perfect ring would be. So I bought it. Right. And I, it was one night we were here. It was me, her, Eddie and Melissa. And it was new. Like I was one night we were drinking and we we're joking about the ring. So there was a picture of it in my phone and they saw it. And like, okay. What the hell? And I was like, what do you think? I'm crazy. You think I'd buy the ring. <laughs> and I happened to have the ring in a, in a, in a drawer right next to me. So I was like, what do you think? And then I pulled it out. She saw it, not the actual ring with the box. And she, she had a panic attack. She ran to the stairs and she was hyperventilating. And I was like, no, relax. I'm not giving it to you now. Just letting you know that this is where I'm at, right? Now, she's in a totally different place in her life, right? She's like 21, you know, 22, 23 years old, young, you know, living the fast life, you know, L.A., you know, getting involved in just a different person. And I was like this white picket fence guy who's ready to settle down. She right. wasn't ready for that. And so, like, we both, you know, realized we're just at different places in our life. But we stayed friendly throughout. She had other relationships. She was engaged at one point. I was dating, you know, here, there, and everywhere else. And, um, right. uh, you know, the one thing is, is that I kept the ring. Like I never got rid of the ring. I kept it in my safe, which I imagine my ex-girlfriend wasn't too happy to know, but I did. And then she came back to town, uh, this summer, Brent Hanks, uh, got her out to do the show Friday night poker. And so we started hanging out again and I, I didn't take it seriously. I thought, you know, we'll just hang out, have some fun, you know, goof around. And then, uh, she started to realize like how much she's grown. She's 34 now, you know, I'm 44. 
we're now we're more at a place where like, I just saw a different woman show up to me. You know, you're a different woman and you're a different person when you're 23 and when you're 34. You just oh, are. Yeah. And for Absolutely. you, the 21, 22 things, oh no, I know everything. You'll trust me in five years. You'll be like, man, I was an idiot back then. So it just worked. Like we always had that chemistry. That was never the problem. And now we were both really on the same page or she had to convince me really. So he was like, cause I was like, I don't know, man, you know, we tried this before. This ain't, this ain't for me, but, uh, it didn't take very long before, you know, I realized like, this is my dream girl. She's always been my dream girl. And now she's become my dream woman. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. That's a, it's a, when those type of stories work out, it's, it's really cool. So yeah, congrats again to both of you. That's super exciting. Uh, we're going to take, we got, got a lot of questions. We're already, um, we're going to go and knock those out. I want to ask you again. I saw Phil Ivey join the master class and you have been involved with this. I know that it's a pretty, it's a very high level product uh, for many different industries. Could you talk a little bit about what that is, how that came up? And is that, is that a competition or it's the same thing? Or did you, how, did you have some involvement with that? Like, you know, basically Ivy just popped in and is doing the master class, which is like the look. We just got a we got a guest. Hey, look at Stapes. What's up, Stapes? <laughs> he just showed up in my house. Unbelievable. Security lesson like five years ago. You got to update that. We, how did he get in, babe? I don't know. This is scary. The security here. My goodness. I didn't even Man. knock her. I mean, with that scruff and everything yeah, like that. He can't just walk in somewhere. That's unbelievable. Any person could get in. I'm sure. Well, it's good to see. You. I'm just finishing a little podcast here with my buddy JG. All right. So uh, you were asking about master class yeah talk, talk to me a little bit about um, what it is i know i understand it i just know how many like there's i mean can you met there's some other people that are in it's it's like basically uh, the elite in many different industries so like cooking or what uh, tennis i mean you know, everything. I'll, I'll tell you yeah so so master class is easily the coolest thing i've ever done in my life okay because the production quality of this place is like nothing you've ever seen before i mean i've been on sets for different shows or whatever the way that i was treated the size of my room the snacks the, you know, just everything about the way that they shot things. And then you look, think about who's on this roster, who teaches directing Martin Scorsese, who teaches cooking Wolfgang Puck, who teaches dance like Usher, you know, Christina Aguilera, Steve Martin, you know, everyone that's like sort of an expert in their field, Kasparov on chess, whole wide variety of topics. And, and a, you know, really put together so incredibly well. I was so honored that they'd asked me to create a masterclass for them. And I really put a lot of work into it. I had a couple guys that I worked with who are coaching me in no limit for a short period of time. And, um, you know, I asked them to help me with the curriculum and put it together so that we made sure we were giving people not just like some sort of like beginner thing, but something that's a little more high end that they're going to take away from this. And I think like, honestly, and whatever you, there's a lot of coaching places you can get, you know, high end coaching. If you're a pro that's cost thousands of dollars, this is like 90 bucks. And I think it's like dirt cheap considering like for that information that I put into that thing, including, you know, physical tells and a lot of different things. Um, I would charge for a weekend to teach someone that like no joke, like $50,000. So people get this video now for 90 bucks. And the cool thing about it is if you spend like 180, I think you get all the courses. So I was just, I was just everybody. scrolling through. It's pretty crazy. I've seen it before. Yeah. I just, I was looking through some of the, uh, you know, Steph. Curry. And now we got Phil Ivey. Yeah. You know, Ivy in there. That, you got Steph Curry, you got uh, Serena Williams, you, you, you name it. I mean, not to go into the financials of it, really, because I'm just curious. So, like, is it, so people, it's you, it's not like an affiliate. It's it's masterclass is masterclass. It's not like you have a promo for you. It's like it, people, I mean, they'll see who watches it, but it just it's just sort of like everyone's a part of it because it seems like almost. You know, there's two ways to do it. You, there's two ways to do it. You either buy, say, for example, you just want to buy my class or Phil Ivy, who's part of it now. Okay. You pay like ninety bucks for that alone. Okay. If you want access to all of them. 
then I think it's about 180 for the whole year. And okay. you can watch all the classes. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Yeah. No, it's just, it seems crazy to have that much, that high level of people and how that works financially, but I'm, I'm sure that they, they got it down to a science, but either way, that's cool. I just saw that. I saw Ivy join there. I know you were doing that and you, you gave me, when I talked to you in the past, you said you liked the experience and, and everything about it. So that's, that's awesome. Why don't we dive in? Why don't we dive into some questions here, Daniel? Cause we're about an hour in. we had a delay with technical difficulties and let's just try to get, let's rapid fire a lot of these. Cause I think we're going to, I mean, there's just a lot of people that are asking some questions so let me just kind of scroll through here guys we're already gonna give away a 55 dollar ticket at the end of the show we'll do a random draw for that so if you guys ask a question hit the retweet we'll uh you'll be eligible so let me just kind of scroll through some of these and again daniel tell me on time we are at 7 30 eastern 4 30 pacific so let's try to get through some of these and then you know if you yeah. if you want to give me if it gets too crazy just tell me count it down well, like, my lab my laptop battery is at 39 percent right now when that gets to zero, then I guess the show's all right. over. All right, well, all right, so we're capped. We're capped. That's fine. That's good. That's. I think we'll be done before that. Um, first question. Uh, okay, someone asked, your exit from Poker Stars has to do with living a quieter life since you decided to throw yourself in the water and get married. Um, this uh, nuts in hand. Good question. Interesting. Does it, is there anything to do with the with that? Or was it, they're asking, is that time just to, to relax? Well, you know, oddly enough, actually, you know, it's quite kind of the opposite in a lot of ways. Like I'm actually planning on getting like more involved in poker. And one of the cool things about, you know, the split is for years, like for like four or five years, I always had to deal with whenever I said something about poker or poker companies or stuff, that's completely logical, makes sense. People just go, Oh, you're just a shill. Right. So when you wear a badge with like, you know, you understand, like you say something that you actually believe and you know, to be true and you can prove it. Ah, you're just shilling for a company. So I'm sort of released of that now. So a lot of the things that I can say, allow me to just be like a more, at least in people's eyes, a more neutral ambassador. I always felt like I was anyway, but people didn't see that because it's hard. And I get it. If you're being paid by a company and then you're saying things that are like in defense of them, people are going to be like, well, duh, you're only saying that because of this. And they, they don't even look at the merits of your, of your argument. You know, they're just going, they just dismiss you as someone that's a shill or something. So that's kind of exciting. I plan to do a lot of different things. As you can see, I got my hand in a lot of things with the fantasy, with the vlogs, with the, you know, the packages, a whole bunch of stuff. So I'm not going anywhere. I just prefer, you know, being here in Las Vegas and, you know, rather than traveling the globe at this point. Uh, speaking about that, I did see that that makes sense. Um, speaking of packages, there was some question about your uh, your very famous Instagram package photo. Was that was that teeing up the uh, the packages <laughs> for the summer? Was that was that the? Uh, that was so funny. The so that was a. Uh, when people game, when I'm, I don't have much, I don't get embarrassed very easily. Let me see so if when I, I'm I dared, find this. I'm going to put it up on the screen. Oh yeah. So when I'm dared to do something, I'm more than comfortable with like taking people up on a dare. And so I was essentially, you know, pe- people didn't believe I would do it. And I was like, okay, watch, I'm going to do it. And my favorite thing about it is, it's, you know, it's like a picture of the package, but it's really like, Hey, you know, just chilling by the pool, all Zen getting ready for game seven of the game. Like no mention of it. And it, it actually went, pretty viral and a lot of people are like what in the hell is he thinking or doing and i'm like you know what partially partially if you look at instagram right you see all these girls out there putting these out putting their butt out all this kind of stuff these provocative pics 
it's discrimination. Right. It's not my fault that, you know, that's what happens when you wear, you know, you wear underwear or whatever. It's just, you know. I, I like you, it. I, I think it's great. You know, it's good. You, who wants to see a boring pool shot? See, see what's going on. So I saw you put a notebook one as well later, a different pool shot. But that that's funny. So no, I was just wondering if that was had to do with the uh, – the, the whole, you know, doing some some action for people packages this summer. Nope. There we go. So someone asked that question, and then I just thought of that. Uh, all right. We got um, another question. What's next for you? Will you be the ambassador of any other poker room? Do I mean, do you have any plans of uh, live, online? Is that something you're open to, not open to? Obviously, if you sure you couldn't say, even if something was, you know, it's, it's fresh anyway. But is that something that you'd be open to in the future? Well, right now, my focus is simple, right? You know, obviously rectifying this package thing, grinding the World Series of Poker, getting these vlogs out, kind of, you know, just creating a lot of fun content around that. Like down the road in terms of like what, where I'm headed, I think there's a lot of new cool opportunities that might be opening up in the United States with the you know legalization of, of certain types of gambling and things like that. So who knows? You know, I'm open to, you know, consulting and, you know, providing, you know, my expertise on certain issues, if, if you know, potentially down the road, like. I don't know. I'm open. I'm not like uh, making any decisions right now. Um, it's kind of nice to feel a little freed of, uh, you know, sort of that very frustrating, like shill label, which you get whenever you work with somebody. So I'm kind of enjoying that moment of freedom right now to uh, say what I believe without it kind of being shaped into, you know, some ulterior motives. That makes, yeah, perfect makes sense uh how do you deal mentally with the wsop and bad beats you take within the series i mean obviously it's a little different at the world series than normal because it's like some days multiple tournaments it's just you can't really you're just in it you're just in it daily uh do you have any type of meditation routines or mind coach stuff or any ways that you kind of deal with stuff when you, you take some unfortunate beats how do you how do you go about that well i do a couple things if i bust from the tournament i try to go to my trailer and just like really separate myself from that event before i play the next one but did you ever do the masters a choice yeah, years yeah. ago. Uh, the journey, journey Within or? No, it's called Masters. Okay. Masters no, I haven't course. done that one. I know about it though, yeah. Okay, that was my favorite one. So it's, you know, of course we did an emotional intelligence course years ago. And uh, one of the tricks that I got from Jorge, something I use at the poker table a lot. And to make a long story short, it's about getting present and then choosing what you want to feel. So essentially what I do is I do a process, three-part process. First and foremost, you know, I might close my eyes for this, but I essentially vent. Right. So I'm like this stupid idiot. He played a deuce five and he just he's never going to win the tournament. I'm entitled to win this. And this idiot blew me. So I'm allowing myself to experience my experience. Right. And I'm feeling it. Right. Next step is ask myself, what are my physical sensations? Well, my heart's racing. My feet are tapping. I feel blood boiling. Um, so I'm really kind of full of the the moment and I'm allowing myself to experience. Now, the next step is the important step. And it doesn't happen instantly. But with time, it works better is what do I want to choose to feel? in this moment. What do I want to choose to be? So I might say I want to be joyful, you know, energetic, engaged, focused, all those kind of things. So I've allowed myself to vent and, you know, experience the, the, the nastiness. I've, 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 I've acknowledged what I'm feeling. So now I'm present. I'm actually present to what's going on. Now I can say, okay, what's next step? Choose. A guy like Phil Hellmuth, a lot of people don't realize he blows up, right? In the moment, like this crazy, right? And people think like that's, you know, silly, but for him, it actually works in a sense because again, he's experiencing the experience. And until you experience an experience, you can't get past it. Right. Like, you know, this as well as I do, if you're still stuck two hours later on that hand and you're still thinking about that idiot who played the deuce five and never should have, how are you focused? You're not, you're not paying attention. You're not present. You're not, you haven't let it go yet. You didn't let it go because you never let yourself feel it. 
you got to let yourself feel it. Uh, yeah, that's great advice. Um, what about the the Raptors? The Toronto guy are going to wear a Raptors jersey during the WSLP? Pretty ex- is that exciting to you? I know you're a hockey guy, but Toronto. I mean, that's a, kind of a big deal. Oh, sports. absolutely. I mean, I grew up when I, obviously when I grew up, I was a Clippers fan back in the Danny Manning days years ago. They're terrible, but it's funny because my buddy that I grew up with in grade one, his son plays for the Clippers He's from Toronto. His name's uh, Shy Gilius Alexander. Rookie wow. this year was fantastic for the Clippers who made the playoffs. But I grew up, obviously, when Raptors became a thing. I was a fan of them, and I've seen the ups and downs, and I've been watching all the games and super stoked for them. Obviously, it's not an easy task with the Golden State Warriors, but, uh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be rooting. I don't know how many – I won't be able to – like, I'm not going to focus on watching all the games, but if there's some downtime – in between tournaments, I might just be in the trailer taking the game and, you know, just have some enjoyment the first week of the series. That's awesome. Yeah, no, it is an exciting time. That was, uh, that was, it's been some really unbelievable games. Um, what are your next goals and steps poker in life? Do you have any immediate goals that you can share? I know, I don't know if you share some goals. I know you definitely do some goal setting. Absolutely. So obviously this year I'm doing everything I can, you know, to my, I might, my, my focus is like a player of the year, right? So I want to win player of the year. That's my intention. And then I work backwards from that finish line. So my finish line is win player of the year. So now I ask myself, what do I got to do to do that? Right? Looked at the schedule, looked at the setup, said, okay, got to get a trailer, got to get food, coffee. We're going to be a drug addict this year. And uh, in addition to that, um, you know, change my schedule. So playing a lot more events to give myself the best chance to rack up the caches in order to do that. So that's goal number one. Aside from that, I have it on my vision board, and that's to make Amanda happy every single day. Really simple, but... I do my best every day to just make sure that, you know, I have thoughts in mind of like what I can do to make her day better and uh, start a family with her. You know, that's something that we both want. You know, she's, I'm 44, she's 34. It's time. It's time, you know, to to have a little Negreanu running around and we'd like to do that. So, um, and that's always fun to practice. So (laughs) would would you, speaking of kids, would you, is that something, would you, would be, um, would you be, if you're, if you had a son or daughter and they were like, oh, I love poker and they want to go that route. I mean, you kind of, I, I, do you, I have some friends that play poker that say they definitely wouldn't want their son or daughter to play poker. Do you, do you feel open about that? Like kind of whatever makes them happy or do you feel one way or the other? Do you think it would be cool or maybe like I'd rather them do something else or either way? I'm a big believer in supporting your children into doing whatever they find a passion for. So, you know, we both, that's why it's so great with me and Amanda. We're so aligned on this. Like, I want our kids to experience a lot of different things. I want them to play sports. I want them to, you know, play the piano, do art, sing, do music, like experience all the different things. And then whatever they show a liking to or whatever they feel it suits them, we're going to push them towards that. And if, you know, if our kids, by the time they're 2021, they, they, they just have a, a thirst for poker. Who would I be as a role model to my children to say, you know, do as I say, don't do as I do. I'm a big believer in that. You know, like when you want to tell your kids to eat healthy and, you know, don't smoke and all that kind of stuff, you can't do that with a donut in your mouth and a cigarette, right? You kind of like, I'm a big believer in being a role model for your kids, both in, you know, how you treat your, your significant other, but how you live your life from a healthy perspective. I want to be a role model to them when I'm 60, 70 years old, that I'm playing one-on-one basketball with them and they're struggling to beat me because I'm giving it, you know, an A1 effort. I want them to see like, somebody who lives it who walks the walk and talks the talk and does all that kind of stuff 
Yeah, that's not that's a uh, that makes that's that's what I would expect, but you never know. I've heard some crazy things from some of my friends in, in poker that's like I'd never want them to play, even though they they've been successful. How will you celebrate the forty million in live earnings? Are you, you got that coming up? Do you have an event? You think you you calling it right away? The ten k turbo. What event are you going to cross the forty million? You're just going to play your best, it's, forget the rest, or which one? Do you yeah, got? the forty million thing. I actually thought I already did pass it. I really did. I thought I did. So it hasn't been something that's been like a major focus for me. Okay. The whole all time money list for years more than half my career i've been number one on that list obviously that list has changed now to the point where i never will be again so i focus on a couple other lists which i think are kind of sexy one which my actually adam who i do the podcast with that poker podcast said like what if you just had events that had 100 players or more you know what would that list look like number one on that one what if you eliminated events like fifty thousand or above which are a lot of these small field events who would be number one on that yours truly so when it comes to like longevity and the way that I built up, uh, you know, my earnings, I'm very proud of those things. As far as the actual list that people look at now, it's kind of a, I'm not say a crock, but it's kind of silly because, you know, every year these guys that are playing like four or five million dollars in buy-ins, they break even, they add four or five million to their number. So I'm not traveling the world. I'm not traveling the tour. Guys like Bryn Kenny, Justin Bonomo, you know, they're going to rise on that list and I'm going to continue to drop uh, on that main list because I simply don't play the volume. Yeah, no, that's uh, exactly. I think there was a stat you might have shown it, or someone showed it, where if you take away a certain amount of buy-ins, or it's, like you're mentioning, a hundred person plus fields, you you are number one, or you know, it's like you could weed out a lot of that because now it is hard to keep up. There's all these hundred Ks and Triton series and stuff. You're not going to them. It's just like, yeah, you're gonna you're not gonna be on there. Um, who was the funniest player you've ever played against? The most fun you've had playing with someone. So the funniest player to me, well, the Sam Grizzle would definitely be in the list, but like of late, the younger version of that, it's got to be uh, Luke Schwartz. I think he cracks me up. Just his accent, his way of being, like the way he says pigeon, all that kind of stuff. He's kind of like, you know, quote, a bad boy of poker or whatever, but like he can take it, he can dish it. And uh, I just enjoy, I laugh. Like he just makes me crack up. Phil Helmuth's always fun to play with, but I'm going to say, you know, of the Sam Grizzle, I'm going to go with Luke Schwartz uh, taking over the reins from Sam Grizzle, who has some of the best one-liners you'll ever hear. I've never played with him. I've seen, he, he is funny, though. I've seen some of his stuff, and just his antics seem ridiculously, like, entertaining. That accent, too, adds a little, makes everything, even if it's a little out of line, kind of like, all right, you know. Oh, um, it's out of line, but I like out of line. I right. live my life out of line. <laughs> um, what's your favorite hand? Well, 10-7 offsuit. It's always been. I've won way too much money with that stupid hand. Don't recommend playing it, though. All right. That's uh, that, okay. Fair enough. I didn't know that. Uh, I know Ace-Queen, that you call it a 2.7 hand. That hand, I told you, that stuck with me for a long time. That The Ace-Queen hand. Is it? You got any tricks for Ace-Queen out there? For those that have sure everyone struggles with it. Just don't play it. Don't play big pots. I have this, this hand. So when you have Ace-Queen, if the flop comes King-Jack-10, continue. Bet and go with hand. If it doesn't, just get out. Just, 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 get, move, just get out. Move on. All right. There you go. You guys heard it first. That's a podcast exclusive. Daniel Negreanu, Ace Queen Strategy. Um, yesterday, uh, okay, something about the World Series packages. Um, there is, you did mention that. There's videos up on that a lot. We've talked about it a few times. So that's a question about figuring that out. Guys, there, stay tuned. And you've already kind of you shared that a few times already. Um, uh, basketball or hockey? Well, I'm a hockey guy, but I love basketball as well. But hockey, to play, too. actually, I played more. I played more basketball probably in my life than I did hockey. Oh, that's interesting. I wouldn't. I did not know that. What? Where do you see yourself in ten years from now? Could you subscribe? Could describe describe your daily life ten years from now? What's your ideal daily life in ten years? 
So I don't think it'll change too much, honestly, because I'm 44 now and I have a pretty set schedule of wake up, go to the gym, you know, whatnot. But well, the one difference 10 years from now will be there will be children that will be the focus. So it will include getting up, taking care of the kids, you know, making sure they get a good, healthy lunch, playing with them, making sure I'm at whatever events that they're doing. And so it'll be a lot more family time. And then, of course, the World Series of Poker, I plan to do that until I die. So I'll be uh, always on the grind at the series. Do you find, do you have it? I guess there's no way to really know because I mean, I'm just, just walking into this right now. But do you ever find, do you worry about that? Like, with between you said you want to make Amanda happy every day, you want to, you know, you love action, you love poker, you want to play, you want to have kids. Um, do you ever find that that might be, is that going to be difficult, do you think, to, to do that, to find time where it's like, all right, I'm going to play a tournament for two days or a day or three or the World Series or, or my kids or, you know, I guess I teach his own. But does that, does that, work, does that scare you a little bit? Because you've been so just, you know, you've, you've been able to just kind of live your life up to this point and not have kids. Is that... Does that worry you at all or not really? How about not at all? It really doesn't worry me at all because, um, you know, I have a great support system with Amanda and I've got people who work for me who can pick up the slack and things like that. So, I mean, obviously World Series of Poker Time will be difficult with a crying baby at, you know, three in the morning, four in the morning. That's why you see guys like, you know, Jason Mercier and Mike Leah right now, maybe cutting back on yourself also. Yeah. Now that you got a kid, you're, you know, you're going to have to cut back a little bit for a short period of time, but uh, yeah. not worried about it. I'm excited about it, actually. That's okay. That's good. That's what I thought. That's what I would expect. And, and, uh, just want to put that out there. At what point have you lost the urge to play? Is there a period of time that stands out more than any other where you were just like, what the hell? Like I, I poker, I'm burnt out. This is, I don't know if it's for me. I'm, did you ever consider something else in that since you started being? Oh yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, that always happens. You know, I've been doing this 20 years. So you have ebb and flow. And I would say the last half of last year I was playing in the poker masters, you know, sitting there. I just didn't care. I, I just really didn't care. I was like going through the motions. I didn't even play the main event. I was like, ah, I'm over it. I didn't feel like being there. I was bored of it. So, uh, you know, but since then, I mean, it always comes back. World Series of Poker time comes around. Obviously, playing mixed games gets me excited. So the fire will always ebb and flow, I think, for everyone. But I've always been able to motivate myself or find ways to come back to like wanting to be at, as Phil Hemmings would say, full power. <laughs> the white magic getting your white magic yeah. state um who have you learned the most things in poker is there a mentor growing up or anyone in particular that you just feel maybe you discuss hands with or you've gotten the most out of so i always as a when i started my my career i would always focus on the best players in the game and try to figure out what they were doing and sort of emulate that so that would change i would try to take you know like you ever saw the show heroes there was a guy named siler who would like there was these superheroes and he would like take their talent and then just like leave the rest alone so I tried to do that. And then later in my career, obviously, I had a you know, group of people that I spoke with a lot, which Phil Ivey, Alan Cunningham, John Jawanda. But I'd say the mentor or, or the person that took on the role was Jennifer Harmon for me because she used to let me sweat for playing you know, the big game, 1,500, 3,000, 2, 4,000 stuff. So I got to watch her and David uh, Gray and Elia Lesra and Chip and Doyle. And I got to watch and learn from there and salivate and just say, one day I want to be in this game. So, and you know, from a bankroll management perspective, like I used to make a lot of mistakes. And she'd be there for me to tell me like how stupid I am. <laughs> that's good. That's good to have those. You don't want just yes, man. Yes, ma'am. So that's uh, okay. That's great. That's a nice list. Um, what uh, someone's asking how many bracelets you have, which I believe is six world series bracelets. Um, which one is your favorite? Was it the first or which one's the most special to you? I mean, at this point I got to say the first, but uh, in a lot of ways, the one I won in 2003, was more important and special because it was a whole, it was a shoe bracelet. So it's basically horse without the Raz. And 
you know, in 98, I came and played my first one and I won. So I'm like, well, this is easy. I'm just going to win like one every year. And then I went 99, nothing, 2000, nothing, 2001, nothing, 2002. And I'm like, I'm a young kid in my prime. And I think like I'm going to dominate. And it was just left with frustration after frustration. So to finally get my second in 2003 in the shoe was, uh, was really kind of like just a relief and probably the one that was the most important to me. What's your longest drought without a bracelet right now? <laughs> I think it's like, I don't know. What was the last time I won one? 2013 or 14. So it's been about five, six years. You, you've been, you've been known to do bracelet bets. Do you have any this summer or do you like doing those no. or do you feel it's sort of just, it's sort of, I've heard both. I've heard people tell me they do them. They like them. And then they say, you know what? I don't like it. It's too much. It just adds pressure or, or it just doesn't seem to make sense. Well, how many times have you done that? How many summers have you done those? Like, I don't need them to be motivated. Like I'm motivated anyway. So like, right. it motivates a lot of other people like me and Phil Ivey would do like team bets, me and him versus, you know, we'll, we'll a winner. We would bet like even money that one of us would win or something along those lines. But like, I don't need it. So I'm like, I haven't done anything like that. I think for me, the prop bets and side bets I like to make are on other people, which is what the fantasy is all about. So we'll do a 25 K fantasy with about 10 people or whatever. And then on the, after it's over, we all make prop bets. So I'll bet you 25 K on the side, my team against yours. So I end up losing, you know, four or 500,000 a year on that shit. <laughs> this is this is your year though man fantasy and everything i feel it's gonna Let's be it's it. gonna be a big year that you got you got you know the wedding run good you're gonna baby's coming soon you're excited you're motivated you're rested uh it's exciting times um who do you think's the hardest person to read in poker is there any at the table that you just like you're like man this guy always got me guessing i'm just lost because you, you're known for being the guy that puts people on hand specifically your reading ability is there a, is there a list that you just like shit i don't know you know, there is, and I'll tell you what, I rarely do this. I rarely do this, but because I play against such tough competition so often, letting them know right. that they have that on me is a huge psychological beat to me. So there are probably about four or five players that I'm like, I got nothing, man. I got no idea where the hell they're doing, but I don't want to say publicly because I feel like that will just increase their psychological advantage over me when we do play pots. There you go. I never yeah. do that, but this, in this case, I think it's, Smart. Yeah, smart. yeah, yeah. Especially when you battle with the lot of them, the set, you know, often in those in the in some of those circles. Um, we'll take a couple more here, and then we'll let you run. We'll do this giveaway as well. Um, Lady Floppy, I believe, a streamer on Twitch, asking your wife is willing to follow you wherever you go because of your activity in poker uh, and your continuous trips. Do you is, is that saying? Do you like if you go on a poker trip? Well, Amanda, do you do you think she likes? Will she go to most of them? Does she certain locations? She maybe doesn't want to go, or I guess it depends, right? If it's a week or two versus a couple day, but. How do you feel? Yeah, well, so the great thing about Amanda is, is that she's already done this. You know, she's traveled the tour. She used to, you know, work in the, in the industry where she would like go to Monte Carlo and these different places. So she's, you know, she's, she's great to travel with. We've traveled already a little bit and uh, it's a pleasure. It'd be like awesome. And she's like, what I love most about her is like, I don't have to entertain her. If I'm playing in a tournament, she doesn't need to be like, well, we need to go. Like, she's fine on her own. She'll chill in the room, watch shows, whatever, you know, um, just take it in. So um, I, you know, that's, you know, the plan. It's really going to depend on whether she wants to or not, but anytime she wants to come, she's always, always welcome. Right. But she's not, yeah, she's not there saying don't go or whatever. She's, she'll either come or, no. or, or she'll find a way to be entertained. She knows the deal. She knows you're a professional poker player and you're going to play some poker sometimes. Um, okay. And let's see someone else. Uh, what do you think of the six plus? Do you think that's got a future? Do you think that could be a, the new game or do you think it's sort of, it seemed to get exciting for a bit, lost a little bit. Like how does that work in terms of skill versus no and hold them and, you know, taking out some of the cards, a little more gambling, it seems like, but how, how, where do you stand on that? Do you like it? Think it's good, bad, I different? Think, 
I mean, a lot of big action players like to play the game because, as you said, it's like kind of a high variance spot where you just gamble a lot. I don't think it has staying power much longer. Like, I think it's got, I don't think it has legs long term to expand. I think sort of gimmicky a little bit, which is fine. I'm all for new gimmicky, you know, type formats. I don't know that uh, this will, it'll never supplant the regular no limit hole. I don't think. For sure. Um, why people are asking why don't we see daniel online at all what's his reason for this like you see you're a lot more of a live guy uh i know you've done some streaming on twitch do you have any plans for more of that have you yeah liked well that? He, the issue is i live in las vegas a lot of the time when i was going on trips you know to poker stars types events sometimes you know I'm, I'm there to play live i'm not there to play online i'm doing stuff but now that i'm here in las vegas there are some sites that i can play on and who knows maybe in the future i'll do some i'll stream on wsop or you know whatever else now that i'm not you know affiliated so but yeah, I enjoyed streaming when I was doing it. It was a lot of fun. Uh, the reason is, is simply because I live in Las Vegas and I can't. There it is. Luke Abel getting that. Or could. Getting that. Yeah. No, that makes a ton of sense. Uh, Stephen Booth asking, would you play Rob Young in a heads up match for charity? Have you ever played with Rob at a table? Have you played some cash games or anything? I don't think we've played. I know Rob. I know of him. I've seen him around. Um, we haven't had many, you know, um, introductions or, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't, it's possible we've played together. I don't remember any time that we've actually been definitely not in any cash games. I've remembered that possibly in a tournament or two over the, like the years, but no, we don't have, um, I don't know him all that well, actually. I know that you do, but I don't, yeah. yeah, I don't know him all that well. Fair enough. No, he's a great guy and he likes doing that type of stuff. That was a pretty specific question. Steven asking about Rob heads up. That would be fun to watch. So, uh, what is the best thing that poker has given you besides lots of money? What is, what is your favorite thing overall about poker? That's the, that, draws you in that you think you love it so much in a word freedom right poker is a game that allows you to set your own schedule it's given me the life that i've always wanted which is a life that i could essentially do what i want when i want i worked really hard in my 20s you know also a little bit in my 30s so that now i don't have to like i don't have to do any of this stuff we can just enjoy my life with a man to have some kids and you know go off into the pasture i have a choice and i always wanted to be able to have the financial freedom where I never had to worry about anything and poker's offered me that. Yeah, I would say that'd be the same for me as well. I think there's that's the best thing you could uh that there is in poker it gives you that opportunity um this is a great question daniel this might help you even this summer some um what is the best way to approach you at the wsop for a picture without looking being rude or invasive how do you i know you're very known for this you let people take pictures and that and i mean almost to maybe a, a fault where you just like you just don't say no but w what's like the best way to get you and what what would you prefer that someone if they want a picture i, I saw this question and i'm very thankful uh, that you would ask it. And it's very like, you've already shown a lot of respect for even asking the question. And I genuinely appreciate that. And I have a very, very strong opinion on this. I think a lot of people see me playing and they think, well, I'll wait for the break. And then I'll talk to them on the break. Worst time possible. Breaks are short. I need to get to my trailer. I need to pee. I need to eat. I need to like, you know, unwind or whatever like that. So the best time or the best way to approach it is when, if you can be on the rail behind me, you know, when I'm at an event and a lot of time we're on the rail, in between a hand or two like if i'm in between hands i make eye contact i often will with the crowd um you'll get a sense i might stand up and get up that's the time uh, in between hands while i'm playing that might not be the same for others but for me on my breaks i please like <laughs> that's just the time because here's the thing you might think like oh just one picture right and it only takes you know 20 seconds the problem is i take one with you what about the guy behind you and then the one behind him and then the one behind him. Now, all of a sudden, that 20 seconds turns into 14 minutes and I never even got a chance to go to the bath. Yeah, I would say I, I it's uh, that another suggestion I would say on that, too, is if you even like on the break, maybe 
like or stand by the table right before it's starting. You could ask and say, hey, could I get, and then at some point you'll do it when you, you know they're looking for one and they're there and then at your convenience, you would come over to the rail as a good way to do it. I mean, same with Twitch or streaming, same, you get like, I get a five minute break. I said, I don't want to be doing transfers, people asking for this, you know, calling, we want, it's like, no, I need to eat, I need to use a restroom and you need, you know, it's it's hard. Poker's hard, the edges are small. You, you gotta, gotta pee, have your man. breaks. Gotta you eat. gotta pee, we gotta pee. Gotta That's pee. That's the thing, you gotta pee. Every once in a while, you gotta pee. Gotta do it. All right, we're gonna take one more and then we're gonna do the, the draw. This is a question I actually meant to ask you was on my list about um, being vegan. Can you talk a little bit about what that, when that, how that shifted? Have you always been when that started and what, why that's so important to you? Cause I, I've still, I've, I've dabbled with this. I think this is a powerful thing. So have you tried Beyond Burger? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And you, impossible. Yeah. You like those or no? Cause I just, I just heard about this. Someone's telling me buy the stock, buy the stock. And then I had one actually at Playground Poker. I tried to be on burger. It was pretty good. I just, I just curious on those. Like, is that stuff you eat? Is it, do you? Do so you from a taste, from a taste perspective, the impossible burger is going to be the closest thing to like a real burger. It's like actually awesome. And like taste wise and beyond burger is a little diff- different, but it's also good. Now they're good for taste, but they're still junk food, right? Now in the impossible burger, you have a high you know, percentage of like coconut oil fat and a lot of saturated fats and things like this. So for junk food, if you're looking for something that's, you know, you, you, that's better for the environment, potentially, those might be options for you that like, uh, you know, satisfy some of those urges and things like that, those faux meats and whatnot. I think ideally the goal is to eat much more of like just an actual plant-based diet where you're eating real foods that are not, you know, chemically engineered as much and whatnot, as though I'm not opposed necessarily to GMOs and things like that. Um, I try to eat a pretty balanced diet, but I, we do like, you know, Amanda, she's vegan now too. And she, she, she can eat anything. She's like not even three digits weight wise. So she can eat whatever, you know, and she likes to, we, there's a lot of great restaurants in Vegas now, a place called Taco Tarion. They make like all these vegan tacos and then, you know, some of the burgers and this place called Chef Kenny's or uh, veggie house, which makes like Chinese food. That's all vegan, like this chicken and rice thing. So it's called veggie a lot house? of options available. That yeah. A lot good. of options available, but like if you're looking for health, you definitely want to look at trying to avoid as much as you can processed food. It's like people say, don't eat any processed food. I'm like, for 99% of people, that's impossible. I mean, it's really difficult to just like, you know, never eat something that's been processed. Like people think like, you know, you buy a steak from the grocery store, that was processed. I mean, it wasn't, it's not like it just, you know, you know, it's processed. It's everything, most foods are processed. So it's very, very difficult. I think being mindful and listen, you know, whether people choose to be vegan or not, um, you know, I don't, I don't have a, I don't like have, I don't have, most of my friends and family eat meat, you know? Uh, so, uh, it's for me, the, the right choice. I think long-term from a health perspective, based on the research that I've done and everyone has different opinions on this. I understand like it's made me healthy. I go to the doctor. He says, my numbers are great. He calls them pristine, my cholesterol level, everything. My blood He's like, he's shocked. He's like, he doesn't know how I do it. He doesn't know like that, you know, I'm eating vegan. That's why, like, I just don't have a lot of like animal fat in my blood. Um, I don't have any. <laughs> and but what made you, what made you, what, what sparked that for you? Do you remember what year or moment? Was there something yeah. specifically? It was, it was around 2002. I think I started off thinking, you know, I used to have digestional issues, which essentially means I didn't crap enough, right? Like I could go a month without going to the bathroom. Um, and so, you know, someone, you know, recommended me to like me eating, eating soups, salads, yogurts, uh, a vegetarian diet, which kind of cut out a lot of that stuff. And so tried it for a little while and I was vegetarian for about a year, year and a half. And then I just realized how much like dairy was not worthwhile. And I cut that out. And all of a sudden, this guy who couldn't go to the bathroom, you know, more than once a month or whatever at certain times was doing multiples a day, you know, so you know, I'm pretty regular. I wake up in the morning, 
good to go. Another one maybe later in the afternoon day. Um, I feel really healthy and strong, and uh, I've never been stronger physically. There's a big myth and a big misconception that uh, you know meat is required to have like muscles. It's just simply not true. Like factually, wildly inaccurate. Plenty of protein sources that are plant based. Tons of them. There are plenty of vegan bodybuilders who are ripped to shreds. Um, and I'm involved in a documentary that Arnold Schwarzenegger is also involved in as well called Game Changers, which should be released, I hope, this year. It's a lot of high-powered athletes that are big, strong, kick-ass, and all vegan as well. Oh, very cool. Okay. Um, all right. Well, Daniel, there's a lot more questions. You, you know, we're, you're one of those guys where we're going to have to be a multiple podcast. I don't want to I don't want to tax you all the way down to your iPad or your uh, your yeah. MacBook. I got to pee also. And you got to pee. Speaking of that, so <laughs> let's uh, real quick, I'm just going to, we're going to do one random, we're going to draw from today. We'll do the tweet. I'm going to let you tell me when, and then let's see, copy this tweet, guys. Thank you for all the retweets, all of the uh, all the messages, all the questions, some great questions. We'll put this in. I'll let Daniel um, tell me. Oh, shit, man. This is fucking... Man, technology's hard, Daniel. Didn't... Oh, I'm in the wrong... Oh, man, I might have really messed up. I hit some, like... Oh, man. I'm just clicking buttons now, Daniel. Podcast. Hold on. Can you see me? See you. You see me? All right, I think I hit the you're, wrong... You're frozen, though. All right, I might have messed this up. And Siri's talking to me... Siri's talking to me out of nowhere. Shit is spiraling, Daniel, right now. I don't know what's going on. You can hear me? I can hear you, yes. All right, let me just real quick log in here and then do this Twitter giveaway, and then we'll let you run. Um, enjoy the dra- your draft is tonight? Yes, sir. All right, let me uh, – okay, I'm going to put in this – they changed this thing on me. All right, I'm going to paste this right now, Daniel. Tell me when and where someone's going to win a $55 ticket on your behalf. So tell me when. Someone just won 55 It is Tansif987. You got a $55 tweet, and I have officially messed up the technology on the podcast. I don't see myself on the thing. I don't know if I'm being <laughs> broadcast or not. But luckily, guys, this will be on Spotify, iTunes, all the different platforms that will be going up as well as the other ones number 22 podcast daniel negroni in the books daniel thank you so much man good luck this summer i'll see you in vegas congrats on the marriage and uh we'll we'll see you soon man all right bud have a good one thanks a lot daniel all right guys daniel negroni in the flesh in the books we're gonna let him use the restroom we'll see you soon we got more podcasts coming soon and uh that's it we'll see you guys on the next episode have a great day thanks for listening to this episode it was brought to you in partnership with party poker Go to PartyPoker.com to play tournaments, cash games, and improve your poker game. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes.